Let me invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. And we're going to begin reading there in just a moment. The title of this morning's message is Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we read, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of flagrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Father, I thank you for your word. May the truth of it come home to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit apply it to every person here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enjoy the first Sunday of the new year, I want to ask a question. I'm not asking you to respond verbally, but, but do you want your relationship to God, your experience of God to go to an entirely new level this year? Do you want your relationship to go to a new place with God? And if you do, then I have this question. Do you worship? You say, well, Pastor, I, I love the singing at my church. But I didn't ask you that. I said, do you worship? Pastor, I love the preaching at the church, and I hope you do. But I didn't ask you that. I asked, do you worship? In 1961, a man named A.W. Tozer was speaking to a group of pastors, and he said this. He said, worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. 
those churches that preach the good news. He said, worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. What did he mean by that? Even in his day, in 1961, he was concerned that churches had shifted their focus from worship to other things. Maybe how to get more people in the building. Maybe how to get more people into the Bible study. Maybe how to just increase numbers or, or build a larger building and get preoccupied with all the time and energy it takes to build the building. But he saw the activity and he saw the, the, the books being published and the titles and the focus and the energy and what was taking place. And, and it's amazing he spoke those words in 1961 because I think he would have said it today as well. That worship is still the missing jewel of the evangelical church. The word worship comes from an old English expression, worth-ship. Worth-ship. And when you worship, the, the basic core meaning in the scripture is the idea of yielding yourself to God. But it's also a way of expressing his worth. And there are many ways to do that. Singing surely is part of that. Praise is certainly part of that, but to ascribe worth to God, to show His worth, we can do that in many, many ways. One of those ways is to bless the Lord. And blessing the Lord can be a matter of what you say, but it's, it's more than just something you say. Let me give you four Old Testament examples, and then I want to give you a couple of New Testament examples very quickly. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10 talking to the people of God, coming into the promised land, he said, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God. Then, when you've eaten and you're full, God's done something, he's filled you up, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Psalm 16, verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Direction, wisdom. I will bless the Lord who has done that. Psalm 26, 12. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, like this one, in the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Something he does in a group where people can see. Psalm 34, verse 1, one of my favorites. I will bless the Lord, bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so blessing the Lord certainly is described in the Old Testament. Those aren't all the examples. Now in the New Testament that phrase isn't used, but it is illustrated. And I can point out Acts 13 verse 1 as an example of what it looks like in the New Testament. Now in the church that was was at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers and then it names those men and in verse 2 it says as they ministered to the Lord ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Spirit said and if you're a Bible scholar and you know that passage of scripture you know that in the context of those men ministering to the Lord that the Spirit spoke and Saul, a.k.a. Paul, and Barnabas were sent out 
to begin taking the gospel to the Gentile world. It was not a planning meeting saying, how can we fulfill the Great Commission? It was a prayer meeting. It was a worship meeting. Ministering to the Lord. Have you ever gathered with a group of men or women and said, let's just minister to the Lord. Let's just minister to Him. We don't need to hear a sermon. We don't need to hear a Bible study at this moment. Let's just worship Him. Let's minister to the Lord. You know, theoretically, you and I can do that every Sunday when we meet. Let's minister to Him. He's present. I don't see Him. Do you see Him? He's not present physically, but He is present. And just to minister to Him. That concept of ministering to the Lord, some translations use the word worship there. And and it's the idea of a public service that benefits someone else. Not a private, but a public service. And so that word would be used of public servants. It would be used of worship, but it's the idea of, of doing something, doing some activity. And the whole goal or purpose of that activity is to benefit someone else. One of the things that, that changed my approach to the Lord years ago in my own quiet time was I would come to the quiet time, and I, all of us do, you come there because there's something that you need and you want to spend time alone with God, and I need to hear His voice, and I want to hear His word, and I want to, I want to think about who He is and what He's done. We're going to say more about that in a moment. But, but to come to that time, my, my, my orientation was that God would do something for me. But everything changed dramatically when I began going into that time with the attitude of what can I do for him? That God exists not to please me, but I exist to please him. That will change your life to get up in the morning and say, Lord, how can I please you today? To come into your time alone with God, how can I please you in this time? To go into my workplace, to go into my home, to go into my family, to go in among my friends. Lord, how can I please you in these relationships? I suspect that that is part of what's meant when he says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Is that we come to please him and not ourselves. And so that's the appearance in the New Testament, and it's this picture of blessing the Lord. And, and of course, when these guys come, they say, Lord, we're just here to minister to you. We're just here to bless you. We're here to praise you. We're here to, to benefit you. And in that context, the Lord says, I'm going to do something with these guys. I'm going to accomplish something with these men. I'm going to take a couple of them and send them out. And I'm going to keep using the guys that are here, but I'm going to take the ones that are sent out. I'm going to use them too. But I can use men like that. I can use women like that who are just here to minister to me. And so I believe God was blessed. So the question is, how can I bless the Lord? And and so I want us to go back to Luke chapter 7 where that passage exists. This is the other New Testament example of what I believe it looks like when you and I bless the Lord. Three things I want you to see. There's so much here. I have preached on this passage before, but not this message. And I just want you to take up the question, how can I bless the Lord? If that's a way of worshiping Him, and we see these examples of it, 
How can I do that? Number one, how can I bless the Lord? Welcome him as he should be welcomed in my heart. Welcome him as he should be welcomed in my heart. That's a part nobody else can see. That's the immaterial part of you, your spirit and your soul. No one else can see that. But if I'm going to bless the Lord, it starts on the heart level or it's never going to happen. In verses 36 through 38, let me read those again. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house. So that's one response. Pharisee says, come, eat with me. And Jesus went to his house. And then later it says, and behold, a woman in the city stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Simon invites Jesus to the house, but doesn't provide any of the normal and customary courtesies. He doesn't provide him any water to wash his feet. That was customary. He doesn't kiss him. That was a normal greeting. He doesn't provide him oil for his hair. He didn't let him wash up. He doesn't provide any of those things. In that day and time when you ate at someone's house, you laid, you laid down. And I, I thought about having somebody sort of lay up here on the steps, you know. And I thought, you know, if I take this New Testament illustration, put it on the platform, it's going to look like a centerfold or something. And so I, I don't want to distract you. But basically, you, you lay down on your left elbow, and your, your body went out away from the table. And you ate with your right hand. And they didn't have utensils. They used bread. They would sop up things with the bread, and they would just pick off things with their hands, and they would eat with their right hand but they would rest on their left. And so the feet went out away from the table. You didn't want the feet in, in your face or up against the food, so they went out away from the table. And this woman, the courtyards were open, and people would eat outside. And in the Mediterranean to this day, in a lot of places with moderate temperatures, people do that a lot. They eat outside. Not a lot of bugs, not insects. They're eating outside. The courtyard's open. Anybody passing by can look in there and see what's happening or can come in. It's like uh, eating on a, they did that in a restaurant where they have an outside patio on a sidewalk and people are walking by. They can do that. They did that in ancient times. And so Jesus is there with Simon and this woman in the city comes. And Jesus is lying on his left side. His feet are out from, from behind him. And the Bible says she came up behind his feet. The most, the dirtiest, the most offensive part of the human body in ancient times. It still is that way in many parts of the world. Uh, I told the story before. My dad was a pilot, flew all over the world, and he had, a, he had a crew, a member of his crew, one time that was walking through a market in an Asian country. I won't mention the country, but, but the coinage. He had some of the local coins in his pocket, and he dropped one of the coins. Now, this is, this is a guy from America. He drops one of the coins that's rolling around on the pavement. What do you do? He stomped it with his foot. Stopped it. Reached down and picked it up. Some people saw it. He got arrested. Got thrown in jail. Because on the coin was the image of the, the supreme leader of the country. And the foot, if you just sit down and elevate your feet and point them at somebody, like put it on an ottoman or something, that's offensive in that particular culture. And so he took the lowest 
dirtiest part of his body, and he stomped the image of the supreme leader of that country. He got out of jail. But Jesus is standing there. His feet are out there, and he's in one of those cultures that looks at the body that way, and this woman comes up, a woman of the city, and she begins to weep at his feet. And the tears fall on the dust-covered skin. And she weeps so much that those tears wash the dust off of his feet. And she gets down with her hair. I can't do this with my hair. But she gets down with her hair. She has long hair. And she begins to dry his feet. And then she kisses them. She kisses his feet. She took this alabaster jar of oil, very expensive perfume. She breaks it. She pours it out on his feet. It was expensive. It probably cost everything she had. And in that symbolic breaking of the perfume, very expensive and costly. She was pouring out the perfume, yes, but she was pouring out herself. Just loving him. Now, what was Simon doing when all this was going on? Well, if you look here in this text, that he's thinking in verse 39, and I don't, you don't need to read it again, but he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. And he would shoo her away if he was a prophet. Now, understand that Simon wasn't speaking this out loud. He was thinking this in his mind. He was thinking this in his heart. This was the part that nobody else can see. At least we think nobody else can see, except Jesus. <laughs> and the irony is he's thinking if he was a prophet, and the prophet was reading his heart. He had his mail. He knew what Simon was thinking. Simon let Jesus in the house, but he didn't let Jesus into his heart. He didn't welcome Jesus there. And so there's a difference between having Jesus in the house and having him in the heart. And there's more than just a play on words because there's a way, you know this, you know this, there's a way to study about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, show up on Sunday and be where we talk about Jesus, to be a Jesus person and hang out with Jesus people, but not deal with Jesus in the heart. You can let him in the house and never let him in your heart. This woman had gone all the way. And so what goes on in your heart is important. If you're going to talk about blessing the Lord, it's not just something you do externally. It's something that's birthed, ignites inside the soul. And Jesus is far more concerned with what goes on in that part of you that no one else can hear, no one else can see. And how many times... Have you thought, thought all kinds of things in your heart in a setting where maybe your attention should have been focused entirely on the Lord? In Mark chapter 7, the Lord Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, this people, it's quoting the Old Testament, says this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
On the outside, they got me in the house. They're doing all the right things. They're going through the motions. But their hearts are far from me. So that's the first thing I can do to bless the Lord. I need to welcome him in my heart. Don't keep Jesus at a safe distance. Let him come in. Let him have his way. Let him go in all the places of your heart where you say, Jesus, you can come here, but not here. Let him go to all those places. Welcome him. That blesses the Lord. Just the very act of opening your heart to him. Secondly, how can I bless the Lord? Think carefully about who he is and what he has done for me. Think carefully about who he is and what he has done for me. In verse 40, Jesus does this with Simon. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarii was about a day's wage. So if you're talking about 500 denarii, you're talking about a year and three months worth of wages. That's a, that's a big debt. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Of course, Simon's kind of squirming at that point. He says, I suppose, I suppose. Jesus explains to Simon the difference between those who genuinely worship, who bless the Lord, and those who do not. And yes, it begins on the heart level. But something has happened in the heart. There's a transaction in the heart where someone has thought about who God is. And how amazing it is that this God would come after me. They have thought about what he has done. How he has came from heaven and became a baby and grew up to be a man and died on the cross in our place. They think about that. It's not an idea. It's not a theological article of belief. It is a heart-level reality. And they have thought about it. That blesses the Lord. People who get it, people who understand, and it becomes a controlling reflection in their life. One of the best things you can do in your time alone with the Lord is as you read the Scripture, ask yourself those kinds of questions. What does the Scripture tell me about what, who God is and what God has done for me? And to think about that. I think one of the most important times that occurred for me in my life was about three years, four years after I became a Christian. I was struggling with doubts of my salvation. I've preached about that here. I, have strug I struggled for about a year, and it was a miserable year. If you've ever struggled with doubts of your salvation, you know what I'm talking about. Just miserable. And I was in ministry. I was a youth pastor, Dustin. And here I was leading others to Christ, and I was baptizing, I was doing these things with other people. But in my heart, I had all these questions. Am I really saved? Did I do all the right things? Do I need to go down again and take that preacher's hand and be baptized again? Do I need to do that? I'll do it, Lord, if that's what it takes. But in my heart, I was thinking, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like that's going to make it stop. So what do I need to do? And I remember praying about that. At that time, Gail and I were living out in a, a rural house for a summer. We were house-sitting, and, and it backed up to a pasture, and there were cows out there. And I would go out in the morning, and I, I had my Bible, and I would lay it out on a fence post. And I would read my Scripture out loud. There was nobody else out there but the cows. And I would read the Scripture out loud. I'd just read it to the Lord. 
And I didn't realize it then, but I was blessing the Lord because I was reading from the heart. It was real to me, and I was seeking him and wanting to be free of this doubt that was just plaguing my soul. And one night in particular, I, I just could not sleep. I was so burdened about it. Gail was asleep. It was quiet. We had the windows open. I went outside, and I went back near that, that fence post, and I began to talk to the Lord again. Oh, God, oh, Lord, can you make this stop? I want to be free of this. I want to be a man of faith. I prayed this. I want to trust you. I want to be free of this. And I got down on my knees, and I began to keep praying in that way. Oh, God, make it stop. And, and then I laid down on the ground, flat on the ground, in the dark face down in the grass. Oh, God. I began thinking again about the gospel. I believe God answered my cry, helping me think about who he is, what he has done for me. Because in that moment, as vividly as at any other time in my life, I realized I am a sinner who truly, truly deserves to go to hell for my sin. And the only way that that story changes is because God holds me in his hand. And I said, Lord, I get it. I had heard the words. I had prayed the prayer. I was saved. But God took it to a whole new place. And I knew that my trust was in him and him alone to save me, to change me, to grow me, to make me whatever I needed to be. But on my own, I would be lost. And I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord. I wept. I stood there. No one else could see. And I worshiped. Think carefully about who he is and what he has done for me. If I want to bless the Lord. Jesus was challenging Simon to think. Think, Simon. Think. Why does this woman act so differently than you do? Why is she all out for me and you're not? Could it be that she understands something that you, wise Pharisee, you don't understand, but she gets it? She understands. Number three, how can I bless the Lord? Welcome him in my heart. Think until the reality of who he is and what he has done sets in. And then number three, express my love for him openly and without shame. Openly and without shame. Listen to verse 44. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You know, I can imagine a little bit in Simon's defense how annoying it would be to be trying to ha carry on a theological, in-depth Bible conversation with Jesus, and this woman comes in, and she's weeping on his feet, 
and drying his feet with her hair and breaking perfume on it, and everybody can smell it. And I'm just trying to talk to Jesus about Bible things. How annoying. How upsetting. Here she is, and she's distracting my conversation with Jesus. I think those words that Jesus speaks are so significant. He looks at the woman, and then he looks at Simon, and he says this, Do you see this woman? Well, of course he saw her. He saw her the moment she walked in. He saw what she was doing. He knew what kind of woman she was in his mind. He's thinking about this. Of course he saw her. Obviously, Jesus was talking about a different level of sight, wasn't he? Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Because he's speaking at that moment to everyone who is not like her. He's speaking to me when I'm not like her, speaking to you when you're not like her, speaking to everybody who's not like her when he says, do you see this woman? She's taking all she has. She's pouring it out on me. Her whole life, she's holding nothing back. And everyone could see how she felt. And she didn't care that everybody saw. It just didn't matter what other people thought. She didn't give a rip. The first thing that goes when you really love someone, and you know this already, the first thing that goes when you really love someone, when you're excited about someone, the first thing that goes is all of your dignity. Just watch it a ball game. Good night. When you're excited, when you're passionate, when you're in love, There's no worry about dignity. There's no worry about what everybody else thinks. Shoot, I stand in my own living room, and I stand up and holler at the TV. Go Tigers. When Jesus was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem for the very first time, the Bible says he danced before the Lord with all his might. So much so that his wife, it was not a good marriage, she looked at him, the Bible says, and despised him in her heart. She was embarrassed by his behavior. Are you ever embarrassed by the passionate behavior of another Christian? Jesus would say to you in that moment, do you see this woman? Are you ever ever put off by people who seem to be just a little bit too serious about God? Jesus would say to you, Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you really see her? Because she blesses me. When God comes, all pretense leaves. It's really hard to have dry eyes when he comes. It's really hard to just stand there when he comes. Oh, We will worship the Lord at 9 a.m. We will worship the Lord at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. We have our plan. That's when we're going to go to church. That's when we're going to have worship. There's no schedule with this kind of person. They are never off the worship clock. I love him with all that I am and all that I have, and I don't care what you think. 
That's the way she is. I want to give you a couple of examples, and then I'm going to ask you to do something we haven't done here before. And you can worry about that while I give you these examples. After, you know, King David wanted to build a temple for God, a, a really a holy place, a sacred place, and God told him that he couldn't do it, that Solomon would do it, but he couldn't do it. His son can do it, but he couldn't do it. So David spent a big chunk of money and life to gather the materials for the temple and to bring them all together. And it became a worship service when he gathered the people together and they had all the stuff there. They weren't building it yet. They just gathered it together. And in 1 Chronicles 29, 20, then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So he says to the group, now bless the Lord your God. Now what's going to happen next? Everybody stands up and say, bless you, Lord. Look at what happens next. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers. And here's what they did. They bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. So, so when he said, people, let's bless the Lord, what did they do? They, they bowed their heads and they lay flat before the Lord. It was a physical act. Now remember, this can only be genuine if it's something ignited in the heart, that, that comes from the heart, that involves some reflection. This is God. We're doing something for God here. We're, we're building something for God. And, and so this is happening on a heart level, and it comes out as the bowing of the head and lying flat on the ground. Let me give you another example. They built the walls. Nehemiah was a second chair leader in a pagan empire, and he got to come back and help build the walls of a destroyed Jerusalem 70 years after they'd been carried off into captivity. And if you're uh, studying Nehemiah, one of the things you realize is that it was more than just rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah was called to rebuild the people of God, to rebuild a group of people who have a, would have a heart for God. They were thoroughly demoralized. They were intimidated. And he leads them to build the walls physically. And then they had this big dedication service. And the reason I know it was more than the walls is because of the things that went on in that, in that dedication. But, but here, I just want you to hear this phrase, Nehemiah 9.5. This is during the worship time as they celebrated the completion of the walls. And the Levites said, stand up and bless the Lord. Stand up and bless the Lord, your God, forever and ever. And so in one passage of Scripture, they bless the Lord by lying down. In another place, they bless the Lord by standing up. 